agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government of the government love. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorff, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I'm joined by the professor of law at Chase Law School, Ken Katkin. As always, welcome to The Politics Guys, Ken. As always, it's great to be back, Trey. Well, and we get to do it a little quicker this go-round, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, So... Obviously, I mean, there's big stories we're going to talk about. I think some important, but maybe ones that have not been on everybody's radar stories. But this week, what we're going to be tackling is we're going to start with the Buffalo shooting. Uh, and we're going to spend uh, spend some significant time there. And then we're going to move forward. We're going to talk about the Pennsylvania Senate primaries and what's been happening in that and kind of the continuation of our conversation about Trump's. Uh, uh, leverage. We're going to move forward and take a look at Cawthorn's loss. We're going to take a look uh, at what that might mean for the Trump brand. We're going to take a look at some of the things going on in Idaho. Uh, We're then going to move forward to a court case. We're going to take a look at the FEC versus Cruz and what that means in terms of the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act of, uh, of 2002. And then we're going to move forward. We're going to talk about uh, Bezos and Musk have kind of gotten into it with uh, President Biden and Biden's had some responses. We're going to chat about that, chat about inflation a little bit, kind of an ongoing story that we've had. And then we're going to do something a little bit different as we end up the show. We're going to come back a couple of weeks ago. uh, Ken and I had the privilege to have the opportunity to be on the show when we were talking about uh, the possibility of the Supreme Court striking down uh, Roe v. Wade. And that led to a conversation in a broader sense for a little bit on the show about abortion. And listeners were really curious for us to continue that conversation, but not so much about on the Roe side, but about our own positions and the morality of abor- abortion. So we're going to take that on in a big way uh, at the end of the show. So that's what we're going to be covering this week. And we will get started on that in just a moment. Okay, so Ken, I thought we would do things a little bit differently as we talk about the Buffalo shooting and coming into the story. Um, there has been a lot of commentary on the we shouldn't read what the shooter had written, right? I mean, again, we, we could talk about it in terms of it being a tragedy. It's a, a, a major tragedy. It's an epic tragedy. Uh, 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 Peyton uh, Grindon opens fire in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. Uh, and he marks this with, he, he live streams what he's doing, which is, which, which that's, uh, you know, horrific in and of itself. And then he posts this 180 page screed about it as well. And so what I thought we might do instead of kind of the, the, the typical, there's two angles to this. I thought we might want to get together with on Ken first is, I thought we might want to talk a little bit because one of my first impressions was questioning the race and the police actions. You know, on this show, we've talked a lot uh, about police actions toward African-Americans. And I was deeply curious about, you know, hey, Peyton, you know, he's still alive. Is that normal? Because it kind of feels like, okay, is it always the white guy with the gun who ends up getting taken alive for some reason? So I want to, you know, I've looked into this. I want to talk about that a little bit. So I want to talk about the race. And the second angle to this that I, I think is worthwhile, and we, we've, we've talked about this leading into the show, was talking about Peyton's writings themselves, right? He is, and anybody who's taken a look at the news, this is an accurate description of him, right? He is a great advocate for the great replacement theory, this idea that there is going to be uh, you know, whites are going to get replaced. We'll talk more about that. Um, and, you know, and, but to get into that, one of the things that I, I had noticed and, and Ken, you had a ex, uh, similar experience was, you know, we wanted to get our actual hands on what he had written. And that is nearly impossible in, in, in large part. As a matter of fact, even among scholars, uh, counterterrorism scholars, for example, uh, what kind of got my brain moving in this direction was I follow uh, this group and they were like, well, you know, here's kind of our analysis of it, but we're not going to share the actual data. Now, for those of you who are listeners, you might go like, oh, okay, well, we don't want to share that because it's bad. And I get that in, in one sense. But generally, when you're looking at things, uh, you know, academically, when you take a look at some things as a scholar, you're going to, you want to study the actual empirical thing itself, no matter what it is. 
a lot of times the way I put this to my students is like, look, we can't only study the things that we think are moral. That leaves so many things out. So I, I, I thought we might start with those two uh, angles to it, Ken, and we can take other ones on. And I'll let you start wherever you wish. But I really I would like to start about kind of the race police interaction and then uh, uh, Peyton's screed itself, those two to start with. Yeah, you know, I think it's complex with the race police interaction because my, my first instinct when I heard the story, just like what you said, is, you know, of course, because he's white, he got taken alive and he didn't get killed. There, there's no way that mm-hmm. if he was black, he would have uh, um, been taken alive. But actually, I do think it was slightly more complicated than that because the um, the security guard who he wound up killing, um, in fact, shot him in the heart, you know, tried to kill him. But um, he was wearing b- strong body armor. So he was uh, that's actually why he's not dead as an initial matter. Now, it got a little more complicated after that, because after he had already killed the Topps grocery store security guard who also shot him, um, uh, then when the when the Buffalo City Police came um his big threat was that you know he was holding his gun to his own head and saying he would kill himself and uh and i suppose they they at that point tried to take him alive um and one could question you know whether they would have tried as hard to talk down um uh, an african american shooter who had already shot people and was threatening to shoot himself but um for whatever for better or worse i think it is good police practice that they talked him down from shooting himself and i i can't blame them for doing that so um so i i think this could be looked at through a lot of different lenses um but i think the body armor as an initial matter is the reason he's, he wasn't killed by the security guard and then the, and then the subsequent way the, the police interaction um uh, played out what, what was your thinking on that I actually did a little bit of data research on this one because I, I, I thought, you know, one of the things that always strikes me is, is sometimes I'll have thoughts. I'll look at things. And one thing is to look at the actual particular. So I'm glad that you you brought that up, Ken. I kind of looked into comparing it to well, other interactions. It's harder to do this for mass shootings because there's a lot of question about like what constitutes a mass shooting. So data uh, bases can be a little bit different for these. But what I found, and this was a little surprising, again, this isn't, you know, hey, put it out for publication level or anything yet. Um, but for the for the data sets that I could get my hands on, uh, it looks, it, it, A, it's not, it's, it's a little more racially diverse who ends up having mass shootings than I thought. Um, in, in, the, in the case of uh, ethnicity, about half of mass shooters are white. And I think most of the time, I kind of thought of that as being a much higher number. Um, so you take a look at these databases. The other deal was the number of them who are actually killed by police is pretty low uh, across the board and across race. Um, so as a matter of fact, uh, half of mass shooters are taken alive. And that, again, among most of those databases seems to be relatively uh, uh, um, true across uh, ethnicity. The, the biggest number of individuals who end up being killed are ones who, as you were talking about there, end up killing themselves at the end of the mass killing process. And that's about a quarter of uh, uh, mass shooters. So, I mean, it, it, it feels problematic, but at least to the extent that I could see some of the data, I was a little surprised by that. So there, there's kind of what I had found. Yeah, so I think you and I end up at the same uh, endpoint through alternate routes, but you looking sort of at the context and the mass data and me looking at the particulars of, of this particular event, I think both wind up uh, concluding that um, despite the kind of intuition that he probably survived because he was white, um, we both conclude that that's not really uh, proved. Yeah, I, I, there doesn't seem to be evidence for that, and that was surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think on the particulars, um, I, and I only looked at the particulars, I didn't look at the background data, but I get to the same exact place that the security guard, in fact, tried to kill him, but he had strong body armor. Yeah. yeah that, 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 and then later when he was holding the gun to his own head, I, I have to think that at that point, the proper police practice that would, would, would was used and should be used and I would expect would normally be used when someone's holding a gun to their own head is to try to talk them into putting the gun down. Yeah. And that work, and because that at that also. juncture, you're no longer making. You I mean, no yeah. matter what you've done in the past, you haven't. You're not anymore an active threat to somebody else, right? Uh, right. Which is generally what's going to be a police process there. Um, yeah, yeah. And you're talking about the body armor is important. Just you know, a, a detail for individuals who might uh, listen or not know about some of the history of this. Uh, I I don't. I, I was not able to attain this particular 
But my guess is, is that the, uh, the security guard who was shooting was probably shooting with what are called self-defense rounds. Uh, and those kinds of rounds, they're, they're a variant of a hollow point. And so uh, on, a, on a bullet, um, a bullet actually has, is attached to a whole case, to a whole shell. But the bullet itself, if you're just kind of like target shooting or if you're shooting oftentimes in war, because you're trying to shoot through stuff, it's a whole solid piece. If you're actually trying to kill somebody, most of the time you put a, a divot in it. It's a hollow point effect. And what, it's, what it does is it mushes that round faster to try to it, – basically what you're doing, it, it's terrible. I mean, you're, you're trying to tear somebody up on the inside, right? So it'll enter, it'll hit somebody, it'll mush, and then it'll ex, it, it expands inside of the person to create death. The, the potential downside to that is what you saw happening there with, uh, with the security guard, right? If you have a significant amount of body armor, that means that kind of bullet is almost – is even less likely to make any kind of penetrative attack on him because it's going to mush into that body armor. Um, so you're right. Like, I mean, the guy shot the way you would expect to try to kill somebody, but was not anticipating somebody being in military gear effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And he would, and the shooter would have been dead if he hadn't had that body armor on. Oh, for sure. Sure. Um, now that then brings us, I mean, because one of the, one, you know, so, uh, so of Peyton's, I'm calling it a screed. Uh, and, yeah. and the reason I'm, the reason I'm doing that and just to be transparent about this is I, I don't think it rises to the level. I know some a lot, kind of the, the language of a lot of the news has been to call this a manifesto and then to then want to not look at it more directly. And we can talk more about, you know, the, the, the nature of looking at it directly or not. But I don't really think it rises to the level of a manifesto. I think what this really is, is it's kind of the, it's an important set of writings that we can understand about what's happening in somebody. But it, it, it's a screed. It's, it's a write-off. There, there's, there's, there's things to it. It's not trying to be a systematic laying out of positions in the way that you might think. And I worry a little bit, more so than the dissemination of the actual document, I worry a little bit by, about the, the, the choice of the nomenclature that we have picked to use. In other words, I, I would rather change the nomenclature than I would try to hide uh, the actual document. I was curious about what you thought about that kind of nomenclature surrounding it. So you're saying this guy's the thinking did not rise to the level of like the Unabomber's thinking that it should it shouldn't be called a manifesto because it's not a uh, it's not a kind of well reasoned or well articulated uh, argument even of his own views. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's it's. I mean, it would almost be like saying, "Look, I've I've strung together a lot of my." Now again, that doesn't mean it can't contain information. But, you know, I've yeah. strung together a bunch of these uh, things and I'm, I'm dumping it out there as a way to justify my actions. But I think when you call something a manifesto, you're talking about something where you're trying to have kind of a, a reasoned set of arguments. Again, now the Unabomber's thing was, was boring and obviously wrong in many ways. I, yeah. I'm, I'm not – again, choosing the nomenclature doesn't mean that I'm trying to justify someone else. <laughs> Right. Uh, the the Unabomber's yeah, manifesto, you think, was rightly given the label manifesto. But this one, this this one really reminded me of a talking points document or a, like a frequently asked questions like FAQ document, because it, the, the part of it that's most readable is is written primarily in a question and answer format. And the and the questions are typically one sentence and the answers are typically two or three sentences. So it almost looks mm -hmm. like notes for a press conference or something like, you know, these are the questions he's going to get. And then these are the answers that he's going to give. And similarly, I think along the lines of what you were saying, a lot of a lot of the questions and answers aren't really even about his um, views, but they're more about like, you know, how he reached these, you know, where did you get this from? Did you get this yeah. from television? Did you get this from the internet? You know, did you get this from your family? You know, so stuff like that, you know, where he answers, you know, I got it from the internet. I didn't get it from my family. I didn't even get it from television. Uh, he's really not even setting forth his views in those kind of Q and A's. He's just setting forth how he came to those views, but, but he does get around um, setting forth some of his views for sure. The other piece that's worth like thinking about structurally is, and you're right, right? So the beginning of it is effectively an FAQ. And then you've got this huge middle portion that is effectively kind of, I would call it an organization of meme point making. Takes yeah. up the bulk of the middle of it. And then you have this 
it's not even really a conclusion, but you almost have this the so what. So if 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 the above makes sense, now what? And then he has that, and so I really kind of saw those three discrete pieces. And as a communications guy, one of the things that kind of uh, you know mentioned me is I think a lot of times there's these questions about well. Do memes and these kinds of content, do they matter? In other words, I think we all assume, of course, writing matters and what we write matters and how we talk with one another matters. But I think a lot of times we think of memes as not carrying significant value. And I have often pushed back against this. And I would say that this screed gives credence to that position that I think memes are a communicative and they they do sway and they do they do the work that I think many of us who grew up in a different decade would assume would be attached to what we're doing right here, conversation and or the written word. And I was curious about your thoughts on that, on especially that, that middle portion as well. Yeah, well, you know, the middle portion is interesting. So it as I again agree complete with you. It it has a lot of memes that he copied from uh racist and anti-Semitic websites. I think he attributes a lot of it to um 4chan and, and and Reddit and, you know, just, you know, stuff, you know, filled with racist lies, false quotations from the Talmud and stuff like that. But then he's got that kind of intermingled with um, some stuff that he may have copied from more legitimate parts of the Internet that I wouldn't necessarily call memes. Like we were we were talking about the body armor. He's got a whole section on that, you know, level four. I wanted options. to talk about that, yeah. too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. I, I, the... I, let's get to that. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's just pause for one second. So, yeah. yeah, talk about your thoughts on that memes and then let's move to that next little piece of the middle, which was the, you know, the buyer's guide is what I thought of that as being. Yeah. Almost. yeah he talks about the, the type of body armor that I guess he was using. He gives a lot of specifications. He talks about what kinds of uh, bullets it will stop. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I would lump that in with memes exactly. That probably I would. I mean, I don't know that that information is accurate, but it certainly seems like it could be accurate. You know, whereas a lot of the other stuff in, in his memes, it's just like it's just racist garbage and couldn't really be linked to anything accurate. Um, so that's all well, kind of well, in there. Well, yeah, and in I'm that sorry. section, one of the other things that was, I, I didn't know what always to make of it. He almost had like a shopping list. Like here are the, you know, here's my, here's my top 10 selections for body armor for weapon. But did you notice that he often, and I had wondered about this. It wasn't the things that he ended up using that he always generally recommended. And I don't know why that struck me. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason that struck me, right? Like, so I'm going to try, I mean, I'm going to go in, I'm going to try to shoot a bunch of people and I'm going to try to start a revolution, but I'm also at the same time, not going to spend 50 more dollars for, I mean, that's not precisely exactly how he's putting yeah. it, but I don't know there. I seemed that portion of it helped me get into his head a little bit because in some ways he obviously was still thinking both even where, as you're rightfully noting, you know, maybe the most accurate, quote unquote, kinds of pieces. And again, I don't know all of the, the, the elements that he's talking about, so I, I can't completely give its veracity. But how bizarre to say this is the most important thing I'm ever going to do. And by the way, when you guys do it, don't do what I did. You know, use this other thing. Yeah. Which I don't know. <laughs> Something about that seems strange to me. I don't Did that strike you as strange, Ken? Maybe he already had some body armor before he finished doing all his research and he didn't think he needed to go buy more. You know, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I don't feel right laughing about that, but that yeah. is funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't I couldn't read the body armor stuff uh, with the level of detail that you did, because I don't have the level of comprehension or knowledge about, you know, what he's talking about exactly. I mean, he talked about other kinds of tools, too, not just the body armor. He talked about no, the, like, well, the gun, powder. the actual yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 the strap cutter, the the foldable mossy oak knife, um, you know, things like that. He's got a lot of uh, and also the iPhone and the and the speakers and, and things like that. He he goes through all his equipment lists in, in great detail. Um, his leather headband, um, uh, you know, and talks about better options there. His earplugs. Um, it's a very it's very strange, like the level of um, I, I just have to think he was collecting this information over time as he was planning it. And then once he collected all the information, he's like, might as well just paste it all into my my document. You know, and that could be true. There's kind of a I was doing it and now I, it's too late now. I can't you know, I can't put this off anymore. And so um, now, you know, so I mean, we have these sections. We've talked about that. The other, you know, the the thing that has gotten a lot of traction, and I, and I don't think wrongly so, 
uh, in the greater uh, uh, news circuit was, again, his point of view about rate replacement, his particular version of that. Um, and, and, in, and again, in that case, we'd mentioned this earlier, it's, it's a long, it's not a particularly new re, uh, but it's this idea effectively that states can be overthrown when you gut them of their ethnic culture. And specifically what this generally is worried about is, is that non-white individuals are going to come and they are either going to come in, into the United States borders in some way in a mass way and then they're going to have a bunch of babies and for a variety of reasons white people will not believe in their uh in their in their culture they won't have babies because they don't they don't have a, a connection anymore to their identity and so eventually you kind of you lose out democratically uh uh uh, uh by attrition effectively and, and again this is not a new um there is a matter of fact Famous, uh, and I can't now. I'm, I'm blanking on the uh, the name of the book. Can maybe you remember this? Uh, it's it's a famous racist book in which the the uh, the writer pictures actual individuals on all these boats, and they're coming to Europe, and they're going to like land, and then once they're here, it's going to be kind of the end of, uh, of of European culture. And I cannot think of the name of that text. It's famous. Yeah, I, racist. It's that, it's, it was that. It was by a French writer, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I, I can't remember his name either, but I, I I do know the book that you're talking about. Oh, it's a uh, um, Renaud Renaud Camus. It's a it's a yeah. I just looked it up on the on the internet while we were talking. So it's by the French author Renaud Camus. The book is from 2010, and uh, um, in, in the English translation of the title would be the uh, Abecedarium of No Harm, and the, and 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 yes. it's usually called the the Grand Replacement or the Great Replacement. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and so this is kind of the, you know, he, he is kind of putting those together in novel form. It's a terrible novel, but, um, yeah. but now the reason I bring this up is, is one of the, you know, this is a big talking point, but this seemingly has been a talking point for some elements of what I'm going to call the Trumpian right. Uh, and specifically who's been targeted recent, recently is, is Tucker Carlson, who has once again, seemingly kind of has those kinds of points of view. What do you think about those connections as well, Ken? Yeah, well, I mean, the the um, although the shooter in his document um, disclaims really getting it from Fox News, um, it does seem that he he attributes it to the same internet sources that I think Tucker Carlson gets it from. It's the same theory, right? I mean, in fact, it's weird that he applied it to African-Americans because I, I think, um, you know, typically it's applied to um, immigrant groups and, uh, you know, African-Americans are are not here because they were an immigrant group, right? They're here because they were <laughs> yeah. enslaved and brought here, um, probably not by the liberals who he attributes to uh, uh, immigration to, but by, um, you know, the the, the pre-Civil War uh, Southern conservatives who supported slavery. You know, that that's who that's who brought the African-Americans here. They don't seem to fit completely into his um, his version of great replacement theory. But he he does address that um, in the manifesto. And he says um, anyone who's here um, who's uh, not of um, uh, he, the way he phrases it, there is no non-white living on white lands who is innocent. Um, so he so he he can he throws them in as part of great replacement theory. Um, yeah, I think it's identical to Tucker Carlson's great replacement theory. I mean, Tucker Carlson's not calling for massacres of non-whites, but I think it's um, somewhat implicit uh, in his uh, lamentations that uh, because of um, um, immigration and, and uh, differential fertility rates that America um, is becoming less white. Um, you know, I mean, I think if you and perceive more it, and more liberal in some way, yeah, and more liberal in some way, which may or may not be even true. But um, I think that the idea that it's becoming less white is probably true. The idea that it's becoming more liberal because of that, I think, is subject to, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see. That hasn't been really well, the case so of, far. Yeah, well, as a oh, matter sorry. of fact, on that, for listeners who, who are interested, uh, you, you might not know this, Ken, but last week uh, we, I did an interview uh, with individual who does that kind of data work. And, and the answer in Texas and California, at least, uh, is right now that those individuals skew Republican. Yeah. I mean, right. It seemed there was a big shift between 16 Hispanic, and 20. Hispanic. Yeah. Hispanics in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say the verdict's well, definitely well, it was also, in, also in California. 
Wow, that's quite interesting. But it's not shocking yeah. to me because I never would have thought that the 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 the, the, the you know if his major premise is um, that America is becoming less white, and his minor premise is that therefore it's becoming less uh, uh, conservative. Um, I don't see that the the minor premise follows from the major premise at all. And, and you're saying data data it bears that out. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing about him here in that front, which is which is. We're, you know, he's not advocating for conservatism even. He is advocating openly for kind of a neo-fascism. Yeah, in fact, straight fascism. I think he says he is a fascist. Um, in the, in yeah. the in, in his Q&A, he says, the question, are you a fascist? Answer, yes. Fascism is one of the <laughs> only political ideologies that will unite whites against the replacers. Since that is what I seek, calling me a fascist would be accurate. Uh, so it's not really even neo-fascism. It's plain old-fashioned uh, paleo-fascism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah. Paleo-fascism. Um, yeah. Now, you know, another element to this is somebody who has followed uh, replacement theory through its, uh, you know, when I was going through graduate school, one of the major kind of racist targets on this front was Islamic communities. One of the things that I have noted and a lot of other scholars have already noted about these writings is how much that the, the, the screed does not focus on Islamic communities in a way that that would have been much more prevalent, say, a decade ago. And you rightfully again point out he looks at African-Americans first and Hispanics second. And everybody else, I mean, there's a little bit in his memes, he has a little bit. And at the end, he's a little bit about like Turkey. But really, that's, eh, it's, you know, it's, in, in, his, in his words, that's way over there. I don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, his, his focus is African-Americans and Hispanics, which is another kind of, of uh, shift, right? So, you know, which, which ethnicities are the ones that we're going to have kind of fascist focus on seems to have potentially as well. Yeah, well, I think there's reasons for that. So if you think about um, 20 years ago, you know, in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks and then the the 6-6 attacks in in, uh, England, um, there was all this rhetoric about the clash of civilizations, right? That there was going to be this title of a book. Yeah, yeah, by by Huntington, right? That 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 the, the the Christendom and the Islamic world were inexorably being drawn into a battle to the death against one another. So Muslims were kind of our enemies, and I think that was the rhetoric twenty years ago. But I think um, you know the thing about now is the the current Great Replacement theory is much more focused on. Um, demographics, birth rates, fertility rates, immigration rates. And, you know, for, for Muslims in America, that's all pretty minor, right? That the there's not a huge number of Muslims in America. There's not a hugely growing number of Muslims in America. If what you're really worried about is white majorities, um, then I think Hispanics, you know, are and, and maybe South Asians to some extent, you know, are where there's uh, um, a lot more immigration and a, a lot more um, um, fertility in America and, and things like that. So I think they've really shifted it from a kind of clash of civilizations. You still hear the legacy of that sometimes in some of these people, you know, who talk about like uh, what was his name? Gavin McGinnis, the guy who started Vice and then became kind of a white supremacist mm, of sorts. Mm-hmm. He, he always talks about like Western chauvinism. And that's a little bit in the the Proud Boys rhetoric, um, you know, so that the idea would be, well, as long as you're pro-Western, you know, maybe you could be Hispanic or maybe maybe you could even be black, you know, whereas I think, you know, the, the thing is the fight against Islam, you know, whereas today, um, you know, it's much more like just about, well, white survival of the white race, right? And so if it's if it's really about white supremacy and um, uh, change in the eth- ethnic uh, composition of the country, then the more threatening uh, ethnic groups are the ones that are actually growing faster as a percentage of the American population. And that's not really Muslims. No, it's a great point. And I, I, I think what we might do here to kind of finish up, one of the reasons I always think it's an, important to kind of take a look and understand evil things, right? This writing, the screed, is in part so that we can point out kind of the underlying problems in it. And so what I'd like to finish with is, uh, uh, for this story at least, can obviously we can't go into every element of this that is wrong or evil and, and why that might be, but maybe kind of picking a couple of things to say, well, look, here's what's wrong with these kinds of thoughts. And and one of the reasons I want to do this is I wonder in part, and you had mentioned this, right? Like, so for example, 
Carlson, he is not the guy who radicalized Putin, right? But they're coming from similar kinds of sources. And so I think sometimes, though, you know, you might have somebody who listens, watches Carlson and may or may not quite realize the, the common elements, <laughs> right? Because you know, they, they see those as being, being separate things and they don't understand that there's an alternative point. So, for example, on, on the rate replacement theory uh, for this, you know, there's, there is, I think, this kind of fundamental tension uh, in when, when, we're, when, when responding to fascism or paleo-fascism. And that is to, on the one hand, to say, well, look, the problem is, is that we think about the fact that there can be ethnic communities, that, that these kinds of things matter. Because once they matter, if they matter, then you have to go all the way down this road of, uh, of fascism. I think the answer here in, a, in an intellectual, philosophic sense that I, I want to kind of finish on is the idea that while individuals can have different kinds of some unital differences between them, the things that fundamentally make us the same outweigh those. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't exist, right? It doesn't mean that you can't have community identity and ethnicity is, is just a complete nothingness. But recognizing that is different from suggesting that fundamentally people, individuals, aren't at base persons who are individuals. And I think there's a lot of discomfort in the United States about talking into those spaces. I, I think we're worried that we can't talk into those spaces. And I think by not wanting to talk into those spaces, we have allowed there to be a place for what we see in the middle portion of his, of his screed, which is to say, yeah, of course, ethnicity plays a role. And by the way, that's why African-Americans, and he spends time on that, that's why they're so dumb. That's why they can't, you know, they're never going to be like me. We, we, we don't want to speak into race because it's uncomfortable for us, but we need to. And, I, and that was one of the takeaways that I had. I, I think we've given too much oxygen in the room to those kinds of extreme positions because we're not willing to talk philosophically about what they really are. Ken, anything you'd like to take on there? Yeah, I mean, the, I, I agree with everything. I mean, the, the evil of, of racism is that it um, ascribes moral significance to um, race or ethnic background, right? That that that, that people mm -hmm. are the idea that people are better because they're white uh, or because they're some other race. People are, are are of less moral value because they're they're born with a slightly different pigmentation. Um, it, it's false uh, and it's evil. Um, now, it, it could be true that um, you know different um, different um, ethnic backgrounds or religious backgrounds may have different cultures that they bring, right? We were able to you know eat you know at taco trucks and at Chinese restaurants. And, you know, those are kinds of foods that come from different part, uh, parts of the world. And, and now we, we benefit from having them. And, and that's just a small example of a lot of ways I think we benefit from our diversity. So, I mean, diversity makes contributions to our culture, um, but people don't have um, people aren't better or worse people because of uh, uh, where their ancestors were born. And, and I think that's just a it's a fundamentally evil view uh, that, that's being embraced by these great replacement theory people, because, you know, they could put it in terms of things like in, intelligence or capabilities or culture. But what they're ultimately saying is these other people have less right to live than me. They're of less moral worth than me and, and their lives are Really don't matter at all, and and that's that's a fundamentally evil view. I think I do want to read actually just a couple more of his Q and A's on this point. I read the one about fascists. These are all equally short, uh, but he asks himself, "Are you a white supremacist?" Yes, I would call myself a white supremacist. After all, which race is responsible for the world we live in today? I believe the white race is superior in the brain to all other races. Are you a racist? Yes. I'm a racist because I believe in differences of capabilities between races. Are you intolerant? Sure. The last virtues of a dying nation are tolerance and apathy, and I want none of it. So, I mean, he's sort of phrasing it in terms of capabilities, but I think the, the way I would read that is in terms of um, the, moral, the moral value of the lives, and that he's really just saying that, that other people's lives don't have value um, in the way that white lives do. And, and I, you know, I, I don't think there's a more evil idea out there, really. Agreed. And again, I will argue again, it's a space that we need to continue to talk into. 
Um, so, Ken, any last thoughts here before we uh, we move forward to the Pennsylvania Senate primaries? One last thought that I actually changed my mind on while we were talking. So I think before we started talking, um, I was of a very mixed mind about the um, – the, the large widespread efforts that you noted of, of the the internet world and the media world to um, sort of report a little bit on the contents of this document, but but yet to try to suppress and not disseminate the document. You know, as we talked through it, I, I, I became more, uh, I sort of came around to the view, it would be better if this document was more widely disseminated. And I'm, I'm really um, not any longer as much on the fence as I was about that. You know, I, I, think, that, <laughs> I, th- I think that just reading the document and and the way we just talked through it, uh, I think that would be instructive if more people did it. And I'm less worried about the fact that um, it might also inspire more crimes, because the truth is the only place you can find the document today, and this is where I found it and probably where you found it, is precisely on these white supremacist sites, which, you know, the people who might mm-hmm. commit those crimes are they're not the ones being prevented from finding it. Right. It's, it's everyone else <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. being prevented from finding it. So, you know, I think it would probably be better if, you know, I, I think there'd be really no harm to making it more widely disseminated. I think it would be more instructive if people could see more of a connection between the ideas in this document and the ideas that they're hearing on Fox News every night. See, you've come around to my view. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I came around to your view. I I, I mean, again, I'll just, you know, I agree with everything you just said there because I think when you hide things, even for good reason, you oftentimes make more problems than you do than if you address them in a sane, sensible, and moral manner. Uh, you know, I don't think if, uh, as a matter of fact, you know, this is, this is a classical liberal idea. The idea is like, look, if you, if you, if, if you think you have the moral position, if you, if you think you're right, then, then you shouldn't be concerned about immoral positions because you should be able to, as, as we have done, systematically walk through its problem. And in, in so doing help a lot of people. Now, will that mean, again, as, a, as a, an empirical scientist, that doesn't mean, you know, we're not all just logical beings and we're not going to convince everybody of that. But as you rightfully pointed out, it's not as if we're going to stop them <laughs> by hiding it anyway, right? We're The only ones we're going to affect are the individuals who we might affect in a positive way. But, yeah. And uh, did you also, I found my copy of it on a white supremacist site. Is that is that where you found your copy of it too? In my case, there is actually a share site that, like, in other words, a peer-to-peer sharing site um, that uh, posts documents. I did not look deeply enough at that particular one to say, yeah, for sure, this is a white supremacy. But, I mean, it would be kind of like a – it's not 4chan, but it's like one of those things. So it very well could have been. Yeah, I, I, I just I wouldn't I would hesitate to say I'm for sure. Um, The poster basically said, I don't endorse this. But I, I, I hate that uh, you can't get your hands on it. So here it is. <laughs> that was his yeah. little comment. Um, and uh, you know, again, I don't know what to I don't know how to ascribe any other motive to that poster because it's anonymous. Right. Like, right. So that's how I got mine. Yeah, because as we had noted before the um, before the show had started, just for listeners, you know, what had you know, again, it set that in, in motion was I actually went there as a counterterrorism um center and i thought for sure because they had all of this analysis on it i thought for sure that they would have it there for other researchers and had had purposely made the decision to not do that and that's really what initially made me go wait what and you know lead to having this longer conversation okay so ken i think we should probably leave that there we'll take a pause and then when we come back we will be chatting about the pennsylvania senate very okay so Maybe a little less uh, depressive than thinking about uh, uh, the mass murder and, and somebody's reasonings for wanting to be uh, a mass murderer uh, is the Pennsylvania Senate primary. And, and this is, I think, you know, we're doing it second in large part because I think this is the second biggest story. We have Trump-backed Dr. Oz, who is, as of today, that is May 20th, just edging out his primary opponent, uh, McCormick, by, that's right, 0.1% of the vote, unless something changed since we started uh, 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 talking, uh, 0.1% of the vote. So this is razor thin. And right now, one of the reasons is taking a minute is Pennsylvania is still counting its mail-in ballots. Now, 
What else has been happening surrounding all of this? Well, a lot. Trump, on his Truth Social Network, said that Dr. Oz should declare himself the winner. He did that on Wednesday. On Thursday, yesterday, he went on further to say, quote, The Pennsylvania Oz race is ridiculous. How long does it take to count votes? France, same day, all paper, had verified, all capital letters, numbers in evening. U.S. is a laughing stock on elections. Stop, it's all capitalized, finding votes in Pennsylvania. Rigged? Um, Oz has not yet made any such comments or gone on board. Neither has his opponent, McCormick. As a matter of fact, outgoing Senator Tommy uh, said that he was proud that both McCormick and Oz had not yet attacked the results and was critical of uh, 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 Trump's comments, saying that they were typical for somebody who's lost. And again, this comes back to the question of mail-in ballots. Now, Ken, the two of us, we've talked about this before. Before you were on the show, this is something that we talked about when I lived in Florida. Uh, The reason in Pennsylvania that you have this longer period, and it holds true in a couple of states, is because by law, you can't count mail-in ballots until Election Day. So you can't even open the envelopes. You can't prepare them. So you've you got to start opening these ballots and everything on Election Day. Other states that have identical mail-in ballot requirements, so for example, Republican stronghold Florida, where I used to live, they are counted as they come in. As a result, since they're all prepped and counted systematically, but not just on Election Day, it means that by the time you get Election Day, you're adding the votes from that day to your pre-existing totals as opposed to the other way around. This has continued, though, to be a, a, a sticking point for conversations about Pennsylvania. So obviously right now we're looking at a recount given that we are well within the margin. Um, what do you think is going to what do you think is going to uh, kind of pan out in terms of those larger structural questions? And do you have any prediction on if Dr. Oz can win by a narrow <laughs> victory or not? Well, yeah, actually, first, I want to um, comment just on one thing you said before that asking the question, which is it's true that Pennsylvania's law, as you said, um, delays when they can start processing uh, mail in ballots. Um, but I think it's also true that in an election as close as this one is. Um, this kind of uh, you'd have uncertainty at this stage in in any state. Um, it wouldn't be unique to Pennsylvania. So if it was a little less close, then the state law would be more of the the, the determining factor. But um, you know, there's a federal law that allows military and overseas voters to um, cast votes as long as they're postmarked the day before election day. And so that that federal mm-hmm. law, which applies to all U.S. military personnel who are stationed overseas, and in fact, all U.S. Um, uh, uh, US citizens who live overseas, um, means that every state would have to wait um, for those ballots to arrive by ordinary mail for a period of up to 10 days. So if, if you have a, a election that is literally count down- all those fake military. Ballots, yeah, yeah exactly. If you an election down to the hundreds, as this one is, it actually wouldn't be resolvable, um, even in a state like Ohio, where I live, where they do start processing, you know, the, the, the large majority of the mail-in votes come from people who are inside the United States. And, you know, they would process those um, as they came in in Ohio. They don't process those um, until after Election Day in Pennsylvania. But and so that does slow things down in Pennsylvania. But this is so close, I think you'd have to have it slowed down anyhow. Um, now, I, I, you got to wait. You got to wait for them to arrive. Potentially, you got to wait for the overseas ones to arrive because the overseas ones could be enough to affect the outcome here just on their own. And I did hear in one analysis that I read that so far the overseas votes are coming in with a nine percent edge in favor of McCormick, and that if they keep coming in just at that same rate, that um, that means McCormick will win. Now, we don't know if there's a systematic reason that um, overseas voters who vote earlier might vote differently than overseas voters who vote at the last minute. Um, but just if, if all overseas voters vote at the same rate as each other, then that would suggest at this point, I think that McCormick is going to overtake uh, Oz. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, of course, in those kinds of circumstances, sometimes you can make those population predictions based on the sample that you have in. But as you rightfully noted, what's coming in may or may not be the a representative sample of what the total of what those will come in, if that makes any sense to that population, because there's no necessary randomness or why they're coming in from, you know, 
they come in from this particular base first versus base number two. Um, there's a lot of reasons why it's not necessarily the same. But you, so that's I didn't know about the nine percent, but that's 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 a, that's an interesting uh, a point. Yeah, Nate Nate Kahn wrote about that in his political numbers column in the New York Times, and you know, so I'm really just stealing his analysis there. But he, but he said, you know, he said still, you, you, there's no way to predict that the ones that already came in are going to predict the the way that ones are going to continue to come in. So that's why no media outlet is calling this race. It's interesting that in a Republican primary, we're not seeing quite the efforts to shut down the you know the finishing the count that we saw you know in a general election where you know the Republicans when they you know had a lead. We're making enormous efforts to shut down counts before they were finished. And uh, now, you know, now in a Republican versus Republican race, we're not seeing that. Although, as you said, Trump was encouraging that. He was saying that Oz yeah. should do that. I think it's actually McCormick who's hired more of the Trump lawyers who had worked on uh, trying to get the Pennsylvania count stopped um, uh, during the general election of 20. Like those people that were um, on, on Trump's side trying to shut down a completion of the count are, are, are substantially working for McCormick right now. But his position on this would be the opposite, I would think. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other piece to remember here when you're talking about this, and you were hinting at it, so we'll just make it explicit in terms of numbers, right? So as of this morning, there is approximately just under 10,000 uh, GOP votes left uh, to count that, that that are in possession. And again, this is not going to be true by the time anybody listens to it, but it, it's still worth understanding is, is that uh, Oz has just shy of a 2,000 vote lead. So, right, you know... Uh, <laughs> That's a, it's that, already down to know, only 1,000. I'm looking now. It's down to a 1,000 vote lead. 1,000? Okay. Yeah, it's a, so you got a 1,000. 417,899 to 416,829. So 1,070 votes difference right now. There you go. There you go. Um, so how many, uh, are they also reporting the number of approximate left then? I, my, that, I, had, I had grabbed yeah. that I, I can't see that because I'm looking at the Secretary of State's website. He's only reporting the ones that are already counted. Uh, so I think gotcha. some some media reports are reporting uh, which ones, how many are still outstanding, but I don't know if they're quite as up to date as the Secretary of State's website is. Yeah, trying to put those two together may result in some funky predictions. Right, um, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now the other piece about this was, you know, on the one hand, obviously we can focus on on the craziness of Trump. However, what do you think about the fact, and what do you what do you think it might suggest? Either of these individuals, I mean, either one of them, they are, I mean, Oz has gotten on the Trump train, certainly. Um, you know, even the third place uh, tried to out-Trump Oz on Trump. But none of them seem to be taking the same tactic that Trump is recommending. They're kind of doing what you might have considered more traditional, you know, all <laughs> of a couple of election cycles ago. That, that, that ancient tradition. Do you think... I mean, I guess for me, I, I saw some hope in that in the sense of saying, well, take a look, even these now the post Trump Trumpers might not be as willing as he was to to shoot at the actual institutional structures themselves. So I was curious if you would if you would talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I think um, I, I wouldn't give him so much credit for taking the high road. I think it's more about um, incentives. And I think the, the issue here for both Oz and McCormick in terms of why they're neither one of them, and it would have to be Oz because Oz is the one that has the, the the momentary lead. You know why isn't why isn't Oz demanding that they they shut down the 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 vote and and screaming about how they're corruptly and fraudulently finding uh, McCormick ballots? I think I think the two reasons he really can't do that are um, one is that the, the the Secretary of State is a Democrat, the Governor is a Democrat, the the um, the, the Attorney General is a Democrat. In fact, is is the, is now going to be the Democratic nominee for Governor. Um, so, so all that yelling and screaming would not actually accomplish anything. Uh, it wouldn't cause them to to, to shut down these, these counts, and yet it would um, actually uh, divide um, the party quite a bit because you know if about as many Republicans voted for McCormick as voting for um, Oz, um, I think they'd be less uh, willing to line up behind Oz in the general election, you know, if he basically, you know, accused their candidate of being a, you know, a election fraud or and all this. I think he mm -hmm. needs to he needs to somehow think about, you know, reunifying the 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 party. Either each, each both of these guys need to think about reunifying the party enough that they could possibly be viable in November. Um, and I think they have literally no control over the levers that that might um, actually shut down uh, this count. So there's no practical, no, no practical attack here. 
Yeah, there's no practical way to get the count shut down, and there's some cost of trying. So maybe a little, uh, you're a little more uh, cautious in seeing optimism here than potentially I was. So maybe in a general election, uh, you know, so if uh, either one of these individuals, McCormick or Oz, wins, and a similar circumstance were to happen in a in uh, in the fall, the the their behavior might be different. Is your suggestion then? Yeah, I, I think I think it would be, um, and I think you know they have um, there's people in the Pennsylvania legislature that would be pushing to to try to shut down a count. You know, if if a Democrat had a slight lead, you know, I I don't get as much optimism out of that. I think it's just really all about you know the the um, strategic and tactical considerations in. In the, in the situation, in the particular situation. I will continue to hold uh, a, a modicum of hope that, that <laughs> <laughs> um, in part because it seems to me that among Trumpian uh, uh, politicians that sometimes those, you know, what we would see as being strategic party moves are not particularly what they're always interested in. And they are more than willing to cannibalize uh, 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 party institutional structures, party voters, um, in pursuit of that goal. So, I mean, I, that that is not obviously a uh, you know I, I can't refute your uh, your hypothesis there, but I, I will continue to 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 view the evidence in that way. So, what we'll in the fall, we'll have to kind of take a look at how some of these go and say, okay, well, because it is likely that Pennsylvania will be close uh, in the fall. Yeah. Uh, but by the way, I we'll did, have an opportunity. And it will be close. And and also the um, New York Times, I just found they're saying there's still 15,000 outstanding uncounted votes, you know, with just the 1000 vote difference separating them right now. Oh, so they got 50. Yeah. So mine was NBC, by the way, where I'd seen the uh, the 10 or just under yeah. 10. So, yeah. So, so again, oh, you know, here's my interesting question. I wonder how they I wonder how they're getting the, as I think about it. I wonder how they're getting those numbers. Well, they may know um, how many envelopes were received. That that may have been counted already, even as they're um, uh, processing, you know, with each envelope that's received, you know, did this come from an eligible voter? Can it be counted? You know, that kind of thing. So uh, that's true. how they may do it. Yeah. True, true. Okay. Well, at this juncture, though, Ken, it is time to say that we have come to the end of the uh, of of our ad supported preview of the politics guys. So we're going to be stop- uh, we're not actually stopping here at all and we would love for you if you're listening and you've found what we've been talking about to be useful, edifying, helpful, we would love for you to continue on that conversation with us by becoming a supporter of the show. So we're going to be moving on and talking about Cawthorn, we're going to be talking about uh the uh, the uh, court case with Cruz, we're going to talk about inflation, Musk, Biden, and we're going to get deep into talking about the philosophy and the morality of abortion uh, here as we get through the, uh, the ad-supported preview. So if you would like to become um, a, a supporter of the show, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. But some of the easiest ways you can do that is by either heading to thepoliticsguys.com slash support or heading over to patreon.com slash politics guys. And in either of those locations, you can become a supporter of the show. And one of the benefits is, is you get more than just the ad supported preview. You get no ads. You get the whole show. You get a chance to talk, uh, talk with us on Discord, which is what led to some of the questions we're going to be taking on uh, uh, later. So if you're interested in doing that, again, if you would like to hear the rest of this episode, please head to patreon.com slash politics guys or head to politicsguys.com slash support. Become a supporter and finish the show with myself and Ken.